Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the Muslim Centric Podcast where we hope to educate, inspire and entertain on issues relevant to Muslim life. I'm your host Aman. This is the concluding part of our series called Crisis of Faith with Sheikh Amr Jamil where we explore issues which may lead Muslims to doubt their faith in God and religion. We've covered the topics of struggling with homosexuality and faith and also why does God allow suffering. In this episode we look at the aspect of why is Islam so unfair to women and that question, I guess, is there as a basis of discussion to challenge the narrative that is out there. We cover lots of interesting topics, including the question of the requirement for having two female witnesses in place of one man. And the implication that a woman's testimony is only worth half as much. And Sheikh Amr really does explain that well. So we hope you really benefit from this episode. It's hosted by myself and Abdul Wadud and his wife Zeenat is joined us, particularly adding from a female perspective some of the issues that are raised as a Muslim woman. And our resident Scottish-born Islamic scholar Sheikh Amr Jamil from the ISILBUS program and Unity Family Services gives us a really useful insights into how to understand this from an Islamic perspective. Please do support the podcast by rating, reviewing, liking and sharing wherever you get a podcast from. Please do follow us on social media. I hope you enjoy this episode and I look forward to speaking to you soon. You listen to Crisis of Faith with Sheikh Ahmed Jamil and in the studio I've also got my co-host Abdul Wadud and his wife Zina that's kindly joined us. And today's topic is another one which is um, quite a sensitive one. Uh, it's called, we've titled it, Why is Islam so unfair to women? And really, if you if you've been following any of the, you know, the the narratives and discussions online or in the news over the last ten to fifteen years, uh, one of the main things you'll find always is that you know why we had to liberate Afghanistan, why we had to do this is because the the way the Muslims treat their women, and you know we need to establish rights for them. Um, so obviously, we're not going to feed into that whole narrative and everything that comes out of that. But I think there are legitimate areas that we need clarifying. So we're gonna we've got a whole host of things to discuss with Sheikh, um, ranging from the whole idea of you know, why is a you know, do you need two witnesses, female witnesses for one male, or issues of inheritance and issues of menstruation and women being a fitna and marriage and uh, you know, mahrams and all these other aspects. So we'll try and cover as much as we can. And we've had got some sort of case studies which we'll kind of dip into as well. But Sheikh, I mean, I guess one of the things is you hear so much whenever this topic is discussed, you hear so much that Muslims will re- respond to this criticism. But the way women are treated is, look, Islam came and gave women their rights more so than other communities at that time. OK, so 1400 years ago. And people will say, OK, that was great 1400 years ago. Right. But if you look now. You know, where are the women's rights in terms of, okay, you, you know, it's almost like you talk a good game, you know, Islam came, gave you X, Y, X, Y, and Z. But the way we look at women, the, you know, whether it's domestic abuse, whether it's contemporary issues, whether it's um, their say in society, uh, their say in, you know, organizations and committees within our communities, actually, where are they? You know, women scholars, where are they? You know, so they'll say, okay, fine, it was great 1400 years ago, but look, it's it's not as relevant and contemporary now. So, how should we sort of understand this whole uh, wider issue of, I guess, the role of the uh, women and, you know, this whole criticism about why Islam is so unfair to women? And then we'll go into specific examples and tease some of that. But if you could just give us a bit of an overview, just so that we can get in the right mindset of dealing with this whole issue. 
alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulullah i think the statement the the islam did come and gave women's women rights that were unprecedented that's a true statement so there were things for example um that women before that time could not own property um that they wouldn't inherit anything so <clears throat> what actually the prophet sallallahu brought was completely radical for his time uh, at that time they were they kind of treated like property so what the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was doing at that time was absolutely radical it was fundamentally shift, shifting the whole um go posts at that time now in terms of what you're talking about when afghanistan you do get these you get these like kind of pictures of men beating women and 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 that kind of net thing that they wear the thing is <clears throat> um we know um as muslims that not all not i mean if you look at the entire 1.6 billion uh, muslims that in the world do all the women wear that no they don't right so we know that that's not representative of all societies now you you do get that in some societies which is true but i think you have to differentiate between religion as in what are the 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 rules and what muslims may do as people so when that you know the grooming thing happened which britain first loves to talk about they would say look at muslims muslims their religion says they're allowed to um you know rape white women now we we all jump up and down and say no our religion doesn't say that and what do we say well you can't take the actions of those people who are vile in themselves they're not doing it because the quran says it they probably don't know how to read the quran or access the quran um they're just doing it because that's they're the the criminals and they they should be dealt with with the law so the thing is there we shouldn't pretend that muslims are all these uh, holy bunch of people they're not they're like any society you have the good you have people that follow the law you have people that break the law which is why even in islamic law you have punishments why do you have punishments to deter people from stealing for deter people from doing all these things so um, we shouldn't live we shouldn't live in a kind of bubble that this is idealistic world if we had this idealistic you know islamic leader everything would be perfect in that society just look at your history that's and that's never been the case so i think you have to differentiate between be- behavior of people and islam like you mentioned domestic abuse well if you look at domestic abuse statistics for the uk in mind for the muslim community um it's two women a woman two women two women a week are killed by domestic violence that's not just muslims that's a, that's the society as a whole so with all the advancements that we say as a, we're a civilized society that's going on under our noses so you will get people who take advantage of other people that's that happens in every single society Uh, and that's where we have laws to to regulate that kind of behavior okay so we've i guess we've got this um category so we're, what we're distinguishing is this practice of muslims which might not be particularly islamic which we say okay it's cultural or misunderstandings etc so let's put that to the side because i think people kind of get that isn't it yeah. so let's go into it, actually the theological uh, or you know the practical the theory of islam and i guess is this various examples which perhaps in I'll ask you to uh, come because I know you've got a lot of questions from some of your friends etc and, and this whole area but I, I, for me it kind of goes under this whole category is women or the criticism is I obviously don't believe it, but women are second class citizens in Islam yeah so seeing that there's any of these examples you, before we started there's a lot of discussion so do you want to maybe pick one or two for the shake and we can sort of un- unravel some of these yes uh, actually comments. there's um thank you very much manvi there was a lot of interesting discussions that i had with yourself and i think my own like personal thing is that you have to turn it 
around sometimes and you know there's a lot of inequalities that are in the favour of women as well so it's not just you know is, is Islam un- unfair to women actually you know I think Abdul Dood wouldn't mind sitting at home and doing the cooking you know but the fact is that he's he should be the one earning um, mm. so I think you have to balance it out and I think it comes about uh, what the first thing is about having the knowledge yourself so that you can so that you don't fall into a crisis of faith and I think then the other thing is which obviously we'll go into today is how you can answer when other people ask and I know I've personally been asked a lot of these questions so we did discuss a lot but another interesting one's come up about marriage why can men marry um, other faiths but a Muslim woman can't marry other faiths Mm. so I'd I'd love to know the answer to that you know so where men can marry People of, from the people of the book, yeah. people of the book but but maybe a Muslim woman why can't she marry a Christian man exactly, for example or, exactly. or marry four husbands versus yeah because yeah, logic would tell you that you know so children Sheikh, follow your, after their mothers yeah all your Sheikh yeah, so in terms of Ahl Kitab which is um, strictly Christians and, and uh, Jews uh, <clears throat> first of all th- there's obviously a difference of opinion in schools like for example Shafi school is very strict and um, you know, for for example, for uh, for you to marry a Jewish woman, she'd have to establish her lineage back to uh, certain tribes and stuff. So it's it's very very difficult. It's very stringent rules. But even if you look at other schools, like the Hanafi school is not as strict. Um, if you look at if you look at detail, the the Hanafi school says that it's makru, it's disliked to marry a woman of the the people of the, of the book. Most people think it's fine, it's per- permissible. No, it's actually discouraged. So the first thing is discouraged. In a Muslim country, so if you're in like Pakistan, Egypt, it's discouraged to marry a Muslim woman. Number one, um, a non-Muslim woman. Yeah. Uh, to to marry a, a Christian okay. or a Jewish woman, okay. right? Number one, in a non-Muslim land, they say it's makrud tahrimi, which means it's sinful. It's a valid contract, but it's a sinful act to do. Okay, some like Qardawi and so on, they've given fatwa that in, in the West it should be haram, right? Now, why why is that the rule? Um, so none of them say it's fine, it's no problem. All of them say it's discouraged. Why is it discouraged? Because, <clears throat> why is it permissible? First of all, why is it permissible? Because generally, um, if a man, if a Muslim man married a Christian woman in a Muslim land, the environment, the the overriding environment, the adhan's going to be there, the kid's going to be getting education in school. So if they have children from that relationship, he's quite safeguarded that my children will be brought up in an Islamic society, right? Remember, go back... Forget the internet. Internet's very recent, the last 30, 40 years. Before that, there was not these all all these external influences. You know, your <clears throat> village or your town, right? That's what that's what you that's the people you interacted with. That's what affected you. So if you if they're all Muslims or majority Muslims, there's mosques everywhere. There's adhan, there's Islamic education schools. Then it's um, you're safeguarded that your children be brought up as Muslims. And the other thing is that. She already believes in a God. She already believes in prophets. That's why Al-Kitab are special amongst the non-Muslims because they're closest to us. They already believe in these concepts anyway. So for the shift, and that's why a lot of converts come from like Christianity, and because the shift for them is not that much. Mm. It's really just the son, Jesus, the Son of God. But you can say, look, you can still love Jesus. You know, we love Jesus and so on and so on. We believe in all these, everything we believe in apart from the crucifixion. So the the shift for them is is very slight. It's not a huge shift, um, which is why it's only permissible with them. So the idea is that if she doesn't become Muslim, then at least the children will be brought up as Muslim, number one. And two, because, she's a, uh, because she already believes in God and the prophets, the environment 
is going to push her or likely to push her to become Muslim. Okay. Um, why is it makruh tahrimi in a non-Muslim country? Because that environment's not there per se. So there is a danger that she will not become Muslim and also that the children will, may get lost, which is why mm. some scholars are saying it's, it's haram. And I've dealt with cases where uh, I've had to go to court for these issues. So um, so it's not a straight case that, that Muslims should be married non, uh, non-Muslims. My personal opinion is that they shouldn't marry any Ahl Kitab. And usually... Uh, if you think of a, a, a person who's, you know, loves God, loves the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is he really going to marry somebody who doesn't even believe in his Prophet? Mm. Right? And most of the cases when this happens, uh, I don't want to generalize, but I'm talking from my experience, is because the guy's had a, a, a girlfriend, right, who happens to be Christian. He's already got a relationship, which is haram. And then it's just, okay, I want to make it halal now, so what can I do? Okay, I can do nikah, I'll just do nikah. It's not because... Uh, you know, I'm uh, purposely. Uh, when I was doing my rishtari, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll look, I'll look, I'll look at some Christians as well. Maybe, you know, look at look. And it's nothing to do with that. Mm. It's due to they've already had a relationship or they're attracted to that person, and then they're 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 looking at what, what, what how can I make this halal, right? So it's the it's the other way around really. And also, there's a quote from uh, Omar al Khattab. Omar Khattab at his time, you, you think about his time when Islam was very. Um, strong, he actually forbade the Sahaba at that time from marrying from the people of book, the book. And the reason he forbade that, he said, "Look, if you keep marrying the people of the book, who's going to marry the Muslim women?" Mm-hmm. So I use that. I use that in my pre-marriage course to say, "Look," and I, I extend that. I say, not just non uh, non Muslims, but I'm saying, "Look, if you if you marry from people from other countries, then what happens to the women from this country?" You create an imbalance. So it's not a straightforward case that, yes, everyone's, all, all Muslim men are out there marrying non-Muslim women. Right. Jazakallah hair, subhanAllah. It, I think it's it's not just, um, it wasn't really a matter of inequality, but it also shows a deficiency in our understanding um, because most of us all our life believe that just the way I pose the question to you, that that is the way it is. Um, so I'm going to move on quite fast because there's loads of questions. The next one is about Idda. So I've seen friends and, you know, a lot of people go through either a husband passing away or a divorce. And one of the most difficult things that they have to do is be be in the house without really seeing anyone, without socialising. And there's this sort of idea that for men, it's really easy for them to move on. And they do move on. And for women, it's much harder. And that, that creates this whole stigma about it. So what is the reason for that? Okay, so <clears throat> first of all, what is the idda? It does uh, the waiting period. Um, so if a if a woman gets um, divorced, then there's a waiting period of three menstruational cycles. Normally, uh, if uh, her husband uh, passes away, that she's a widow, then it's four lunar months and ten days, which is in the Quran. Um, <clears throat> first of all, what I'd say is that look, um, I'll, I'll explain this, but um, we have to understand that not every single thing we understand every single wisdom behind it. Okay, so like for example, you get these videos about. If you eat pig, this hat, you get these diseases and this disease. That's, that's possibly um, some wisdoms behind it, but it doesn't mean that's the only reason it's made been made haram. So we have to understand that um, there are certain things which we can try to uncover the, the meaning behind it, and some things we don't. So, for example, Hajj. Why do we go around the, the, the Kaaba seven times? Why not eight times? Why not nine times? Mm-hmm. There's certain things we have to accept, right? Why do you have two rak'ahs in Fajr and four at Dhuhr? So we can try to say, well, it's because it's the first part of the day and this and that. But, okay, why is the Maghrib three 
Yeah, why is it not just two? You know, there's certain things which you can't always get the answers for. So the certain, what's called ta'abudi. Ta'abudi basically means that it's a test of your obedience. Right? It's a test of your obedience. Allah's telling you, I want you to do this. And you're saying, okay, I've heard it and I've obeyed. I'm going to follow you. Right? Even though I might not fully understand what you why, why you're asking me for it. But since you said it, I know that it must be some benefit in it. And that's enough for me. So, uh, Idda uh, is mentioned in the Quran. Um, they're, they're one of the main wisdoms or one wisdom behind it is to establish lineage so to ensure that um, the the woman was not pregnant from the previous husband because if she gets married to a new person say she got married straight away to a new person um, then there might be a mix up in lineage now you might say there's DNA tasting and all this kind of stuff, but you've got to remember the rules are for all times and all places. It's not just for the 21st century. This is very recent. But if you look at human history, there has to be, the, the rules had to be there. for. That's why you have all these rules like Tayammum, right? We study rules of Tayammum, even though in our reality, I've not, you know, hardly ever done Tayammum in my life. But the thing is, in another place, Tayammum is very, very real. So you have to learn all these rules because they apply in certain places, they don't apply in certain places. Sometimes it's more manifest, sometimes it's not. So... Um, the Idda, one of the main reasons is to establish uh, lineage, so to ensure that the way, the woman's not pregnant. So if she's pregnant, her Idda is in until she gives birth, and then she moves on. Um, and um, uh, uh, I remember there was a Sheikh Rajib Nablusi, although I've never found this. However, I remember once he, he gave a khutbah, and he was, t- he was saying that he had read some study <clears throat> but I've never found the study. I'm not sure. I've, I've always, uh, I mean, if anyone finds it, it'd be brilliant. And he was basically saying that, I can't remember, they'd found that um, the emotional impact, um, we were talking about bereavement before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you've been married, as a massive part of your life. To get over that, to change your, your life around, it's not going to happen in a week or two weeks. You need a period of time. And what he was saying was that the, um, he'd read some study that, um, the certain a certain period of time is almost necessary for that person to come to terms with what's happening. Now we talk about counselling, don't we? Yeah. We talk about the, if someone's gone through that. Sometimes they have to have counselling. Sometimes they may have baggage from the previous marriage, and they need to get that all out before they go into a new marriage. So that buffer period, you could say, that time period, is almost like uh, a period where the person gets a bit of chance, where they can just sit back, reassess their life, reassess their emotions, get themselves, you know, sorted out, and then decide, okay, this is what I want to do uh, going forward. So mm-hmm. lineage is probably the main the main reason, but there's all these other associated meanings as well, and there's probably some that we don't um, fully uh, understand, which is, which is um, the abudi. I think that was really interesting, especially that you said that there are some things in Islam where you have to put logic to rest, because you just... You're, it's not. That's why, um, as you know, the chuf, right? The chuf, um, mm-hmm. you wipe the top of the chuf, isn't it? So yeah. the chuf is the leather sock or, or, or a, a thick sock, which you, if you want to do wudu and you don't want to wash feet, you, you wipe the top of it. I think the Sayyidina Ali had a quote. He said that, I understood that not everything you could understand by logic when I understood that the ruling of the chuf was you wipe on the top. Because he goes, logically, you should wipe on the bottom because that's where the dirt's going to be. Mm-hmm. But when he goes, when I realised it was on the top, I realised that not everything you can you can just get um, by your own mind. Sheikh, is that not part of the problem of what leads people to have this crisis of faith? Is that 
Because what you're saying and it's all based is, on faith, right? It's yeah, all, it's, it's okay. It's you just, just believe, faith, isn't it? And, and no, I'm not saying you just believe. I'm just saying that. But people will say actually, I'm fine. But look, I, you know, in this age of reason and thinking it, and okay, I accept there's some things we don't know, but clearly the way a woman is treated. You know why she can find in the house for three or four months. You know, and mm. you, X, Y, and Z can't happen. So you know they also okay. You know, it's a bit hocus see, pocus. You know, is, if it's just no, belief, if it's just belief, yeah. and you just you don't know. See, the other thing about the other it. thing about this this question, you you weren't getting this question um, fifty years ago or hundred years ago. Women never brought these questions up. These are all modern questions now. That's because in the past, um, women weren't going out every single day of the week. They weren't out and about. All the time. So, because that's changed, right? Our way of life has changed. What we're saying as well, our way of life has changed. So, let's change all the rules now to adjust to our way of life, right? Well, what I'm saying is that this, these questions were never asked before. They were just accepted. Women accepted it, and they thought, right, okay, that's part and parcel of how it is, and that was it. They got on with it. So, mm-hmm. a lot of these things are now happening because of the way we live our lives now because we we have the internet we have this we have that we have all these external influences the way we like like i said for women it's a difficult thing to stay home because they're not used to it anymore um, which is why older women who um had the traditional role of just being a housewife they don't ask these questions as much so can i move on to Related to that slightly is obviously the issue of marriage, and we've had a couple of case studies that people didn't want to come on air, but they've kind of shared their stories. And so one of them, which I'll try and condense, um, uh, where one sister said, "Look, I'm an educated and fairly sensible female. You know, she's in a sort of a significant job where she makes decisions. You know, out in the working, uh, you know, in the workplace. Quote, quote sounds like quite a professional job." Uh, with qualifications but she says when you know at work she's able to make these big decisions but at home is quite the opposite so it's to do with she said you know her ex-husband you know used to constantly threaten divorce uh, over even minor disagreements and that you know he wasn't stable but so this whole idea that she you know it's sort of like quite an unequal relationship but he he almost had that trump card of Keep threatening her with divorce, and then that was that introduced that whole element of control as well. But she goes now, you know, the tables are turned, and now I'm asking for the for a divorce, and he's you know husband's refusing to grant me this divorce. She's been advised, look, you got rights. I can speak to various you know imams and scholars, and um, but he doesn't have to do the same. Um, so I'm kind of, she says, I'm at his mercy. And she says, we need not discuss the years of inequality and oppression women have suffered. That's quite well documented. But my point is, many women have been abused for years, may not have education or confidence, may not be comfortable approaching mosques. She goes, I'm a confident woman. I have to say, in all honesty, I'm dreading approaching the mosque. But the power is held by men. And after years of being in an abusive relationship, one might see why I might be reluctant to approach a male organisation. Because now, of course, an imam will advise that there are guidelines that my ex shouldn't be doing what he's doing. But there's, you know, these rules around divorces and how it should be done. But there's often, you know, case after case where men are misusing this power. And that, you know, why are men deemed more worthy of holding the responsibility of marriage and divorce? And if we took that power away from men and gave it to women, would our men accept this? Would it be considered fair? And so I guess, it's, uh, you, know, this, you know, this is a very uh, real-life example. So I guess it's distilling down to, I guess for me it's a few issues. One is, you know, why can men give, you know, divorce and when women want to get out of the relationship, you know, through, through the hula and this, that seems quite a little laborious and quite a restrictive uh, process where men can do it quite easily. 
and that power balance that the women seems to be on the back foot. And I know you deal with this on a day-to-day basis through the Unity Family Services, but what advice would you give to the system? This where this leads down against to the fundamental issue we're talking about is that, you know, why do women seem to have um, fewer rights within Islam almost, or, you know, as second-class citizens? First thing I, I would say that what the, the what the Sharia does the Sharia gives us a it gives us a, a um, as you say a way of life right so it gives us the word I'm trying to think of is a structure or a, a, in Arabic you say nadam like a system right a system so that we can function on this earth and get by so if you look at any organisation right any organisation will have a CEO or somebody, right? Somebody who um, make, makes the final decision. If you look at government, right, you will have a cabinet made up of different ministers playing different roles. You look at anything, even like a football team, um, you have a goalkeeper, you have defence, you have a midfield, you have strikers. You have different component parts are all working together as a team. Now, the understanding that we... Uh, get from the Sunnah of the Prophet Remember, the Prophet is our example. That's the person we try to emulate. That's the person we're trying to be like. If we look at his example um, of a marriage of him and Khadija anha, or him with uh, Sayyidina Aisha anha, or with his wives, what is it that we, we learn from his example? What what do we learn from him? Um, was he this the, the person that you're describing, this dictator kind of person who's threatening his wives, he never gave them that. He never said that. At one point, they did complain because obviously he had a very poor life and he, he gave them the choice. He said, look, it's up to you. If you want, you can, you, can be, you can be patient and be with me. If you don't want to be with me, then I will give you divorce. Right? So that's, that's the Prophet That's what he's teaching us. He taught the Sahaba, the best of you are the best of you to your wives. Right? So it's not the person who does a hajj all the time or is giving make tens, 10 million mosques or whatever uh, or all these other good actions. These are all good actions, but he said the best of you is the best he is to his wife. So if you're doing all these great actions, but you're a crap husband, right? you're nasty, you're a dicto- dictator. In fact, you know something? Uh, I remember um, something really interesting from one of my teachers. He was talking about a, a, a hadith that on the Day of Judgment, the 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 Jababira, a Jabar is like a dictator. He said all the dictators will be will be um, brought together and they'll be made into the size of an, uh, atoms, and um, and uh, people will walk over them because they used to oppress people in the world. And then he said, don't think that an oppressor or a, a Jabar is like the dictators we think of running countries. He said a man can be a dictator in his own home. And he goes, these, so he goes, he goes, the people that you have under your control, you will be respons- you'll be held responsible for them, and there's going to be recompense. And every single thing you've done, you're going to have to hold, you're going to be held accountable for it. That's a massive responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. And like I said, if they're dictators, that's what's going to happen to them. They're going to be with the dictators, they're going to be with all these bad guys, right? So husbands don't understand this. And like I said to you in the, the previous shows, the problem that we have is that we are so disconnected from our faith that we we only know like 5%. So the husband knows, oh, I can give her divorce. He's forgot all the other things that he's supposed to be doing, right? He's forgot that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in Bukhari, he used to be in the service of his family, 
right? He's forgotten all these other things or doesn't even know these other things. So the problem, you can't pitch the problem on Islam. The problem is our disconnect from the Sunnah, our disconnect from the Quran. Right? And this is where we were talking about um, these other issues that we've had. People, why, why, is this, why is it suffering in the world? Why is it this? Why is it that? And I said, look, don't they read the Quran? Don't they read the stories of the prophets, the past people? All the difficulties that people went through, the difficulties that prophets went through, is because we're disconnected from our tradition. We don't we don't connect to it. The more I remember, I was doing a, I was doing one of my marriage courses, as you know, I do marriage courses, and there was a brother that was attending, and I just um, there was a, a hadith, one of the, the things at the end of the prophet's life, he gave what's called the farewell speech, and 120 sahaba were there, and he it's a big long speech. You you see it. In that speech, one of the things towards the end that he highlighted was be good to your women. Be good to your women. He said two things, to emphasize two things, salah, and he said be good to your women. He emphasized that because he knew that this can be abused, right? And he said be good to your women. And he said also that uh, fear Allah with regards to your women because they have been given to you as a trust from God. An amana, right? Now, an amana, if you think about it, if I give you this phone, right, and I say, look, amana, I'm going to the bathroom, whatever, you'll look after my phone better than you look after your own phone because mm-hmm. it's not yours. You're in, it's an amana. So I said, look, your your spouse is an amana. This is for the men. Your wife is an amana mm-hmm. from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he's going to ask you about this mm-hmm. from every single detail. So if you oppress her now, Guess what? She will get everything back for you and even more in the in the day of judgment. If you don't ask her for forgiveness now, you'll be begging for forgiveness in the hereafter. Right. So mm. our vision um is not like I said to you, the problem is that we live in this materialistic world and we just become folk fixated with this world. And we don't we, we, we don't understand that this is one phase of our life. The next phase which is more important is the akhirah. Right? We don't differentiate between them, the dunya and the akhirah. They both are a reality. So if there is injustice done to a person, they will get recompensed for it. Right? So if somebody is going to abuse um, their, uh, their, their partner, they will not get away with it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold them to account. So going back to that example, so when I, when I uh, finished the course, um, it was a person who had, had uh, marital problems. They'd come through, to, through unity to me. And um, they were seeking like um, marriage counseling, and I said, "Look, my marriage course is coming up. Why don't you attend it?" That one piece, that just that one hadith, changed that man's complete attitude towards his wife. And years later, he studied. He, stu- he studied. He didn't I syllabus and so on. And he actually came up to me and said, um, "Did your marriage course?" And he goes, "That one thing completely changed the way the way I treated my wife, and that just turned their their marriage around." So it's about as connecting people back to the tradition, the sunnah. What, how, you sh- how should you behaving? Behaving. What is our understanding? Our understanding of life is not just you know this world. Or why is it like this? Why why can he do that and she can do that and he can do this? And he, in fact, if, if we say well, if men say well, hold on, wait a second, we live in a free society, right? If women work. Why do I have to have the burden of uh, providing for my wife? Why should why can it not just be fifty fifty, mm. right? Mm-hmm. They could turn around and say that Well that's not fair How come I'm fasting Ramadan Long days My wife didn't fast 10 days Because she's mm-hmm. on her periods How come she gets 10 days off And I don't mm-hmm. You know what I mean So at which point At which point do you say Well Let's just change everything 
Mm-hmm. You know, why, why don't we just change everything? Because life's changed, the, the reality's changed. Why don't we just fit in religion to our lifestyle? That's what people want. Yeah. Whereas in reality, no, there's a system there, right? You mold yourself into that system. And if you mold yourself into that system and do what you're supposed to be doing, you not that you won't have problems, but you have a certain degree of harmony. Where is this give and take? Where is this overlooking mm. other people's faults? <clears throat> Forgiveness, all of these great morals that, that we are taught through the Prophet and through other Sahaba as well, how they used to treat one another, right? That's what's missing. It's not the problem. The problem we've got now is that we've become fixated in rules. Yeah, we look at the letter we, of we, the we law. Want right? book. Yeah, we want it. a rule book, yeah. right? Whereas when, when it came to family law, and you've heard me say this before, when we studied family law, our teacher specifically said, he said that if you um, if you, you look at the rules when things go wrong, in other words, when you can't sort things out amongst yourselves, then you open the books and say, okay, you have to do that, I have to do that, right? But he goes, normally, is that's not how you that's not that's not how a marriage works. A marriage works by looking at how the prophet was, how the prophet was, how did he treat his wives, how did they treat him, respect, compromise, forgiveness, all of those things. Hadith about. If you if um, if you like if you dislike one attribute, there'll be other attributes that you like. Yeah. The story of Umar al-Khattab mm-hmm. when a man came to him to complain about his wife, and he heard uh, his uh, Umar's wife giving him a rollicking, and he thought, "Oh, he's in a worse situation than me." And he was going back, and Umar saw him and said, "What happened?" He goes, "No, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay." He said, "No," he goes, um, "He goes, I want, to, I, 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 I had a, I want to hear what your problem is." He goes, "Well, my wife was." having an argy-bargy with me and I wanted advice and I saw you're getting a worse time than me. And he said, look, doesn't... And this is Omar Khattab, like alpha male. He's saying, look, doesn't my w- w- wife cook for me? Doesn't she look after me? Doesn't she do that? He listed all the good things. He said, so if she can do all those good things, can I not just be patient when she's having a bad day or whatever? That's what we need to revive. So, Sheikh, just on that point, going back to this example, so I guess you, you know, it's really helpful to understand that framework that you're, that you're talking about. But for the sister, so for example, you know, the, the, some of the questions that we've been getting then say, you know, the sister saying, why should I have to go through so much pain because of my husband's behaviour? What if, you know, what is my recourse if he doesn't adhere to how the Sharia says he should behave? Yeah, so the problem, the problem we have, right, is that we don't have an Islamic uh, judiciary system, okay? So we're living in a non-Muslim land, so we don't have recourse to the judiciary system. In a Muslim country, what would happen is if he steps out of line, she goes to the court and the court says, okay, you basically behave yourself. Otherwise, the judge can do whatever. He can fine him, he can put him in prison, he can scold him, he can do lots of things. He's got a lot of power. We don't have that facility here. So that's why um, you've had these Sharia councils get set up because of necessity, really, um, because people have issues, they don't know where to go. So they're in de facto playing the role of the, the Islamic judge. So you're you can have, it's not the exact same you know it's not the exact same as uh, as this as the real system because in the real system the judiciary has the power of the law behind them they can enforce it here it's moral it's moral guidance it's you can only tell people if they're not going to obey the uh, obey it the only thing you have is recourse is the, is the actual law of the land so um if that man is behaving like first of all and uh, and I don't want to be harsh, but the, first of all, you have to look at the pers- type of person you marry in the first place, the character of the person, which is why the Prophet ﷺ specifically said, look at mantardawna deenahu wa khuluqahu. Look at the person's deen and also the person's character, right? Because I guess that can be difficult, though, at times, right? Because in the context of a marriage 
or looking or seeking for marriage, people play yeah, very, yeah, people, you know, people, people, yeah, people act people very play games. Yeah, this is where you need to do your homework. You need to find out as much as possible from other people, from other sources. Um, so the first thing is marrying the right to a person. The second thing, from the way you're describing it, she seems very successful um, and he doesn't seem as successful as her. And it almost seems like it's almost like he feels inferior because of her success. So the only thing he's got is, oh, I can I can divorce you. So he's been playing that card until she's turned around and said, actually, all right then. And he's like, oops, that's not working anymore. And now he's, you know, um, trying to just delay delay tactics. I mean, definitely the man is uh, uh, going to be held accountable by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. In the Quran, it actually says, if you want to be with them, be with them, or let them go. Right, so the, the Quranic injunctions there. So, uh, and I, I, I empathise with her about the meal organisations, and it can be daunting and all the rest of it. Which is why we have we have uh, a service called Unity Farm Services, where it's confidential. People can email in, and a lot of times it is women who feel uncomfortable going to these places. And I will advise them how to go about getting a divorce if they need to get a divorce. Um, so there are. Uh, there is help at hand. Um, I appreciate that, but the thing is, we have to understand. We need to then look at the issues and try to create solutions. The problem is, and we've discussed this before. An organisation like Unity, which is working in the background, helping people. Uh, when it comes to Ramadan, all these charities are, are collecting money. People will give it to Syria. People will give it to well building wells. These are all great projects, but they will not give it to a project like that. Mm-hmm. But then when things, when they need help, they want you to be there at their beck and call. But you can't obviously give a service when you don't have the, the, the funds. So, so so as a community, we need to look at what are the needs of our community? How do we, we've got all these problems. How do we improve it for our women and also for our men folk as well? So Sheikh, can I move the discussion on a little bit into another area? Can I just say one more thing? Of course. This thing about why men have uh, the power to give uh, talaq. The thing is, the it's because obviously they give the 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 nafaka, the mahr, all the financial burden is on on the man. So the theory is that he's got a lot to lose by by giving the talaq, and he's not going to give it early, early. Now I know that because, and this is the problem because morality's fallen because people have gone so distant from their tradition. A lot of people don't behave themselves. That's that's true, um, but in those uh, situations, you can actually put into the marriage contract something called tafweed. So you can, when you get married, you can actually um, have your husband authorise you to uh, give divorce to yourself. It can be conditional, so you can put in conditions like if he beats me up. Like a prenuptial sort of thing. Almost yeah. like that, right? If he, if he beats me up or if he deserts me or whatever, I can divorce myself. Or it can be open-ended, right? And um, and I know, I know, I know, and one particular lady who had an abusive first marriage, as a love marriage in fact, an abusive first marriage, and um, it, uh, she was wanting to get married again, but she had that fear, I don't want to get stuck again. And that's what she did, she, she put that clause in. So she's got that comfort thing that, okay, if I get myself stuck again, and it's a repeat again, I can at least get myself out of this. So what I'm saying is that there are mechanisms in uh, the Sharia, uh, but people just don't know about it because of lack of knowledge. Okay, so if you're just joining us, so you're listening to Crisis of Faith with Sheikh Ahmed Jamil, and the topic for this week is why is Islam so unfair to women? Sheikh, the the area I'd like to move on to is this whole idea that women are a fitna. Okay, so for example, you know they can't go out with perfume, they can't travel without a mahram, they can't go to mosque, they have to cover themselves up, and that underlying 
perception that they are inherently, you know, s- will seduce people and their fitness. And then, you know, and, and you almost get this very dichotomous situation where you go to an Islamic event and it's very much a certain atmosphere and tone. And then the same people go to work or school or college or university and behave in a very different way with the teachers, uh, with lectures, with bosses who are female. So is that not unfair? So why are women considered almost as fitna that men can't... A, men, men can't control themselves. And it's the women that have to sort themselves out. They have to, you know, you know, try not to give... <laughs> whenever the topic is addressed, people say, well... Muhammad Ali said women are like pearls at the bottom of the ocean. You have to cover them up. I don't know that, that, that kind of work. I get the point, but some people say, well, look, that's, it's more to it than that. Islam fundamentally has an issue that they think women are temptresses almost, you know, and, the, and the, well, can't Muslim men control themselves, that they have to have this really bizarre relationship between these two genders. Okay, so um, the, the, first is, the first point, I think is a very important point, is that the Prophet ﷺ said that every... Nation, every ummah has a characteristic And he said the characteristic of this ummah is haya, is modesty So modesty is not just for women, it's for men as well um, the, This thing of that men can do whatever they want No, men are supposed to be modest in how they, they talk uh, Behave with other women So if they're behaving differently in one um, capacity And when they go to work, they're you know flirting and all the rest of it That's completely wrong um, So they should have that kind of barrier uh, between um, uh, the opposite sex. There's permit, it's permissible to communicate, but when there's a need for it, you're, you know, if there's a need, there's, you're, you're discussing something, but that's it. You're not supposed to have a social, very overly friendly, jokey relationship with the opposite sex because of obvious reasons. So that's the first thing, that, that, um, that haya is for, for men and women. Now, uh, obviously there are different rules in terms of um, what needs to be covered, what doesn't need to be covered. Now, there's obviously one aspect, which is that the it used to be the practical aspect. If men were working in the fields, they were wearing hijab. Mm-hmm. It'd be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's an ob- obvious thing, and obviously, like what's attractive of a male's body is not the same as the attra- attraction of a, of a female's. Body. Although all these lines are getting blurred these days, anyway. Now, mm-hmm. but I'm talking about traditionally, right? If you look in Islam, just just in human history, now in Islamic history. So, um, yes, there are, are rules about women not um, wearing perfume. Well, the actual hadith says that women wearing perfume and then walking past men to attract attra- attention to themselves. So if you look at uh, society, like history, right, have women been abused? Have women been uh, uh, used by men? Yes, they have. Um, prostitution is not uh, a new concept. It's been there for a long time. Using women to seduce men has, has, uh, in fact, intelligence agencies today, till today, use that as a tactic. Um, have women not been used in the past to influence politics, uh, influence influential men? You know, get close to them and then influence them. All of these things have been there, right? So, um, women can be used, right? They can be used, and I remember. One of my teachers who passed away, he said that uh, in the Iraq Iran War, he was Iraqi. He said that um, a million people, a million men, had died, and he said, "You know something? It was prostitution went up, you know, in, in in Iraq." And that was him in the eighties. He was telling me that. And when I was in Syria, and the Gulf War happened, uh, the second one, the Iraqis were pouring in, and guess what? Prostitution went up, mm-hmm. right? So um, 
so now the idea of why can a man marry four women and there's circumstances when that becomes necessary because you have to you have a choice do you have our women getting taken advantage of like that or i mean this happened in pakistan as i mean as vile even talking about it but and when the earthquake happened there were men who came from other parts of pakistan to pick up women who were vulnerable right so these these things happen this is not you know, uh, f- fluffy stuff. This is what happens in those kind of places. So, what the what the what the Sharia does is it protects women. It's there to protect them, right? So, why would it institute more than? Uh, I mean, Bosnia. I remember in Bosnian culture, it is not the norm to to have more than one wife at all. Mm-hmm. But after the Bosnian War, they actually the the they started to have uh, polygamous marriages because they had to because there were so many women and they didn't want to leave them vulnerable, right? So. Um, that uh, is there another thing is that women um, so like what I'm saying is if it's left unchecked um, women will be taken advantage of mm. and therefore the hijab for them is their, is their own protection that, that, that you know I'm not here for uh, the whole world to just do what they want with me look at me however they want and this is my private space um, I'm doing this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I, I bear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through this For men it doesn't mean you're allowed to do what you want You're supposed to lower your gaze isn't it You're supposed to lower your gaze You're supposed to be dressed modestly It's not just sunnah to have a beard It's only sunnah in one school to have a beard It's wajib in the other schools to have a beard So every, really every all the males should have beards um, the length is, is a different discussion But they should have a beard So there the should be a level of modesty In uh, male behaviour and female behaviour And um, uh, a lot of it is If you look at look at, I mean now they're actually changing it If you look at Formula 1 When, the guy, when the, you know, they're coming up to the podium Who do they have in the back? Women mm. Boxing matches when the you know the round goes, it's a, it's a woman scantily dressed. So I'm saying that look, just look at the society we live in. Is that acceptable to us? Is that what we want? Is that what we want? Women just to be objects for men's gratification. So what the hijab does, it takes all that away. That that's not that's not acceptable. You know, if you want to sell a car, you're not going to put a woman on it to sit to to make people look at it. Mm. If you want to sell shampoo, we're not going to put a, a woman's body there. Right, that's a sacred thing. That's a, mm-hmm. of that. That's a that's a dishonouring act to that person. Pornography, by and large, is is women who are put into those positions. Right, prostitution. All of these things are not acceptable to us. We want a clean society where women are honoured, where women are respected, um, and they shouldn't be molested, and they shouldn't be. Look at the Me Too uh, movement. Right, it's, this problem is rife. In the Western societies and also in Eastern societies, but I'm not saying well this idea that all of a sudden we live in the West, so we have transcended and we've become this, you know, civilized, the most civilized of civilizations in the world or in history. That's just simply not the case. We've got massive problems, and I'm, I'm not saying Muslim countries don't they have massive problems as well. Mm-hmm. So what Islam does is Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has given us a system that look, this is a system, right? Yes, there's restrictions. You know, like, she, she so, so when you say when you say you can't be alone with a, a woman, yes, there are restrictions. Yes, we physically can't. Uh, not non-Muslims don't understand. Why can't you shake my hand? There's all these kind of restrictions. Yes, there are restrictions, but the restrictions are there for an overriding uh, um, benefit. Sorry to interrupt you, but but people would say, look, we get that. Okay, that's fine. We understand these issues. 
and in women being taken advantage of. But why is it not so? Why is there seems to be less of an emphasis on men sorting out? Because there's obviously the men that are taking advantage of the women from a lot of these examples you gave, mm-hmm. and with this whole you know Me Too campaign, they're saying look. It's almost, you know, the men need to sort themselves out. Of course, yeah. And so why, but it seems to me all the emphasis seems to be on the women sorting themselves out. It's not that, it's, 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 it's two ways, but what I'm saying is that it's not this, it's not, see, what you have to get away from is same does not, equal does not equal equal same, mm. right? So we are equal in, 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 in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? We have equal value in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's eyes. However, that doesn't mean we should be the same. So just because I can pray in, the, uh, pray in the front row doesn't mean the, the women should pray in the front row, mm-hmm. right? Her virtue might be in the last row, might, might be in the front row. It might be that we're praying different roles or there's different uh, rules that we're following. So for her, um, you know, and for me pr- to provide for her and her having her own own space, her own money, that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's system. I've got to accept it. People don't like it when I tell people, well, you know, it's her money. She can do what she wants with it. Men don't like it. If I say to if I say to men, well, Islamically, she's allowed to have her own home. She doesn't have to live with your 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 parents or your in laws. They don't like it. So what I'm saying is, it's not always it's not always uh, it's not always like everything's the, not one way street. One way street. No, there's a balance. I mean, there's a lot of things men don't like. Men like, oh well, oh, I don't know. Well, I've got to look after my parents, and now I've got this, and I've yes, I understand that's difficult, but that's the Sharia. That is. You know, if 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 it's not obligatory upon her, it's not obligatory upon her. I can't make her do it. If she wants to do it uh, of her own uh, accord, that's fine. But we can't oblige it. And it's the same thing. So there's going to be things on. There's going to be restrictions on this side, and there's going to be restrictions on that side. There's restrictions on both sides. They're just different. Yeah. I guess, um, Sheikh. Just we've got a couple of minutes before we go to the break, and I just had a question related to what you were talking about there, with uh, this idea of Sharia and perceived unfairness between the sexes. So one that actually came up, I was in Living Islam Festival, actually. I was at Living Islam Festival a couple of years ago or a year ago or so. And uh, it was a non-Muslim that actually came up to me and said, you know, I, I've talked to people about <clears throat> Islam before, understand all, but one thing I don't get is why women are so unequal. And I, I asked, so why do you think that is? I said, well, you know, there's this whole idea of witnessing, like the witnesses... Mm-hmm. You need two women in place of um, a man. Almost like, this idea a, a of your court or something like a, that. A court, in, in court, yeah. Situation. So in the course of uh, in, in in the kind of context of court, and uh, that obviously troubled her deeply. But uh, you know, interestingly for me, that troubled me slightly as well. You know, this idea, I had to go and look this up, um, and actually, you know, resolve it for myself. Not that you know it's doubts or anything, but these things niggle at you, so to speak. And I can imagine there's multiple things. We've already touched on some of them. But Sheik, do you have any um, observations or just thoughts about the whole aspect of multiple witnesses, two, two, two female witnesses in the place of one single yeah. man? Does it mean that they are less... Um, Honest. What 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 does valid it what does it mean? Less valid? Are their views less valid? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, the first thing that I'd, I'd like to say is when you said that, that um, this perceived it is a perception, and like I said, it's because people are looking at it from one direction, and it's that same idea of what we were talking about last week, really, of looking at it multiple, not multiple dimensional, right? I mean, the the one one re- very quick question to ask ourselves is. If Islam is so unfair to women, logically, you'd think that the majority of people who become Muslim would be men. Hmm. 
but it's not. The vast majority of people who become Muslim are women. So if Islam's so unfair to women, why are all these women leaving that free liberal life where they are in this equal society and all the stuff that you're talking about? Why they why do they want to become Muslim? Why do they want to come into a religion where they have to wear hijab? Mm. They won't you know, they'll have to pray behind the men. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. I guess no. That's a that's a very that's a fair point. But I guess mm-hmm. the thing is, is when you're you're growing up as a Muslim, and then you are exposed to a completely different um, way of life. Mm-hmm. It can be very challenging. You know, just during the break, I was talking about this. Like, you know, the being a British Muslim is almost like an oxymoron for s- some people. It's this idea of. Britain, this idea of liberty and all this kind of stuff on one side, and on the other side we've got Islam, which is very restrictive. So how do we how do we how do we couple those? Like yeah, how because, do we? Yeah, you're right. I mean, the thing is, let me go back to the question. Actually, otherwise I'll get I'll go off. There's not much time left. Exactly. So the question you're asking about the witnesses, yeah. Um, so again, a lot of people make blanket statements. Oh, in Islam, uh, one. One woman is equivalent. Uh, two men. Are, uh, one woman is equivalent. Uh, what am I saying? Two women are equivalent to one man, right? Um, when you actually look into it, like I said, what Islam did was it created a, a system, right, which was in the benefit of the of the people, right? Um, the general overriding cultural phenomena over centuries. Forget like the last thirty, fifty years that we we're talking about, right? Because even if you go back a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Okay, the women didn't wear hijab, but they used to cover themselves up. You know, even women uncovering is a is a relatively modern phenomena. It was, I mean, women of uh, middle class, high class used to wear sun hats. Used to used to cover their head. Um, they used to wear kind of a longer um, clothing. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so with witnesses, it's not the case. The, the, there are certain areas which were female dominated areas mm-hmm. where. Fem- only female witnesses were were permitted. So, like childbirth, hmm. when it came to childbirth, right? It was the the it was only the, the female um, witnessing that was actually allowed because the way they looked at it was this is a female area. It's men, what are men going to know about it, right? So, in certain areas, only women witnessing would be allowed. Hmm. In financial matters, that was dominated by males, right? And uh, in criminal matters as well. Now, you know yourself in, in, in criminal matters, right? If there's a criminal and he's going to court, what do they do to get witnesses to not give evidence? They threaten them, yep. right? They threaten them. So it was to, almost as a protection for women mm. that if they went to court, she'd have another witness with her, right? Mm. Because we don't, want to, we don't want to bring women into all these arenas where they're un, put under pressure, where they might be vulnerable to threats and so on. Right, we don't want to bring them into these domains. It's almost like a protection for her. It's got nothing to do with her intelligence or anything. Um, similar was the the financial kind of area. Um, so that was the overriding culture. Now you can argue, okay, well, the culture's changed now, right? Um, well, then you have to then you have to say, well, has it changed every single country in the world, or or is it that some places are still like that? So then, do you say, well, we should have one rule? In one country, and we should have maybe another rule in another. I mean, these are, these are valid questions. Interestingly, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, although it's not a, a strong opinion, it's a minority position, which is Ibn Taymiyyah. Ibn Taymiyyah was of the of the opinion or understanding that the injunction in the Quran about having two female witnesses when it came to contractual matters, he felt that that was a recommendation and not an obligation. And so, what he said was, he said it's, it's the judge who decides. So the judge would then decide 
Um, should we have two witnesses, two female witnesses, or two male witnesses, or one female witness, one one male witness, or two male and two females? Whatever he felt was required, he would um, he would um, he would he would judge accordingly. So some scholars uh, in our time are saying that maybe maybe that's a position that we could adopt. And if if we felt that the culture had com- radically completely changed in a different setting, so what I'm saying is that there are. That is the, the general understanding, traditional understanding. There are other opinions that we can possibly accommodate. So this is something that's open for discussion, really. So, Sheikh, we're really limited for time now. Uh, I know you need to go and do your suhoor as well. So I think we've just sort of scratched the surface, and I know it's really to give a bit of an overview. And, you, you know, these topics you could spend a whole day or several days thrashing them out and we've been throwing lots of different things at you from, from different angles you know because I, th- I think some of the things that question people have and I guess for what, what I've been hearing from you is just the way we need to think about these issues mm-hmm. is 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 crucial and key and not just be reactionary to what the narratives that's thrown at us is that you know women are in, unequal because of x y and z we, we actually need to reframe the whole discussion and the and the paradigm which is really important in the concluding few minutes sheikh i mean could you just share some advice so this whole fundamental issue so people that are thinking maybe islam's not for them or it doesn't really fit in for me because of the way the women are treated within islam or perceived to be treated what advice would you give them and what how do we overcome some of these issues and where do they go if they have more of these questions to answer yeah, I think, uh, alhamdulillah, I think what what I would suggest to, to women is uh, educate yourself Islamically, um, do your own research. Uh, I mean, this, th- we have some very strong women characters. I mean, Sayyidina to Aisha is probably a, a really good example. She was a bit knowledgeable. She was very knowledgeable. She was at the level of Mufti, basically. She People would go to her for fatwa. And um, she would she would um, rinse other Sahaba like men. Mm-hmm. She would not back down. She'd say, "No, no, 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 no. You've got it completely wrong. That's not that's not how it was meant to be. That's not the Hadith. That's not the way the Prophet said it, or whatever." And so, I think I think that Aisha is a very good example of um, of a strong woman who. So that's the. T- I mean, if you had to say that feminism, I don't like that word, but if you had to say women's rights or whatever, I think you need to educate yourself so you know what your rights are. It's not all about, you know, well, I've got all, it's not all about, well, I've got all these things on my side and you need to do this and you need to do that. I always say that if people just concentrated on doing um, what they're supposed to do towards others, right, focusing that rather than themselves all the time, because what happens is you focus, well, these are my rights, and then the, the husband says, well, that's my rights, and then basically, it's, that's not how life works. That, that just becomes like a, a bat. And I see it, I see it all the time, I see it every week, right? People fighting with each other, people throwing hadith at each other, people fighting with each other, using knowledge. That's not the knowledge is not there to be used as a tool. Knowledge is there to enlighten you, knowledge is there to, uh, to make you reflect and say, okay, I need to change my behavior. So I would say, um, first of all, they should um, educate themselves, they should try to understand. Um, what is what is the world view? What is the Islamic world view? How do I fit into it? Yes, uh, due to people's behaviour, because of and this is the problem with um, just the the general morality has fallen, 
uh, general Islamic ethos and behavior has 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 has, has come to a, a really um, low. People's behavior is not what it should be, and this is and this is the problem that you've got a system which is wanting people at this level, and they're they're stooping to this level. And instead of them raising themselves to a higher level, tends to say, "Okay, I want to be more like the Prophet." Sallam. I want to, you're, you're kind of saying, "Well, no, I'm this person, right?" And how can rather than me changing, how can I change everything about the the law to just fit me? And I think mm. if you go and if you go down that route, which is I think what has happened in many other religions, that's that's the beginning of the end. That your 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 religion is going to disintegrate into waffly stuff that no one really knows what it is, and it changes all the time, and it's shifting all the time, and then it loses that whole um, idea of of being guidance from from mankind. So Sheikh Jazakallah Khair, thank you so much for your time I know you need to shoot off and do your suhoor uh, I know everyone's got different timings But we've got a little bit of uh, time um, just to carry on So I think myself, Abdul Wadud and Zinat Will maybe just reflect on some of what we've heard today But Sheikh Jazakallah Khair, uh, may Allah continue to bless you And your family and Shelf for all Amen. the hard work that you're doing And chill back next week inshallah so uh, Zenith, in terms of a lot of you know questions that you know you started off with, mm-hmm. um, what are some of your reflections? I guess in terms of what you've heard from the sheikh and from what we've sort of talked about, because I guess uh, you know mm-hmm. before we came in air, on air, you were talking about how you seem to have had a lot of these discussions from a lot of your friends, and, and you know so I guess this is the part of the natural course as well. So, uh, what are your sort of th- reflections on what we've heard? Well, first of all, I, I agree with what Sheikh said, is that some parts, some you know, a lot of things I follow just because they're part of my faith. So for me, I don't really seek an explanation for a lot of things because I know if it's there, there's probably good reason and logic behind it. But it has been really insightful to learn how to deal with some of the issue, issues, especially with non-Muslims, especially where there's discussions that are so rife about equality amongst men and women. And, you know, you often feel a little bit embarrassed to say oh well you know this is how the way it, it's like this for women to a non-Muslim because you don't want to put them off or you don't want them to say why is that the case but it's been incredibly insightful and I think a lot of the mechanisms that are in there are for protection and for safety and I, and I really I really appreciate that you know that my religion gives me that and like I was you know telling you the story about the other day is that um, one of my friends was who does research uh, she does um, gender uh, like women in the workplace and one thing is, is that a lot of women are, when they're menstruating, they are, and they're in the workplace, and they can't even tell their employers that they need a day off. And some of these women, there's so much pain that they can't really function properly. But you know what we were, I was saying to her is that God gives us a day off, so you can't really look at that negatively. The fact that we get ten days off, or you know, because that's that's God saying, you know, Allah saying, I've got you. Um, you know, no one's going to understand your pain, but I understand. You know, the whole world expects you to go on as normal and understand. But I'm going to give you this time off. So, I think you know there are some things that are in our favour, and it's just like you said, it's just a matter of perspective. Um, but it has been really nice to hear what what mechanisms are underlying. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I completely echo these uh, sentiments. It's the the show's been quite interesting for me because I think coming at it from the perspective of this is some of the reasons why people may feel you know, they might start doubting their faith as a result of almost this, you know, the, again we've talked about it, this unfairness that they perceive, but I, I really like Sheikh's sentiments about rising up to the the lofty lofty character or, or the lofty um, 
exemplars that we have in the Prophet Sallallahu and the way to behave, and, you know, because it's almost flipping on its head. It's saying, what does... What 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 do men need to behave like as well? It's not just this is not just a like you know women are perceived as completely unequal or anything like that. But it's this idea of how how are we as good exemplars or good um, following in the footsteps of the Prophet Sallallahu How are we actually engaging and um, helping our own you know? Our, our own wives, our sisters, our mothers, how are we helping them, you know, in this society? And so I think for for me, it's been quite, it's been, it's been really beneficial, Marshall, just but, to hear but, it from that perspective. But, 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 do you not think it's, it's almost like, is the perception not that the women are like the weaker sex and the men have to look after the men, have to, you know, you have to have the mahram, all these are issues, isn't it? I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's a whole You know, I, debate, I think, I think that's true, but you know, that, that might be a good debate, but then I think the best example is, as the was saying is to take the example of the Prophet ﷺ. You know, he did things that were completely, probably the opposite to even what we consider acceptable in this culture. You know, like marrying uh, Khadija radiallahu anha at her age and at his age. That was, I mean, yeah. like even now, if that were to happen today to somebody you know, you'd raise your eyebrows. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like uh, you know, I, I don't think that. Islam is, you know, from for me anyway. I don't feel like Islam is this, um, you know, rigid. It's, you know, if you do turn, if you take a religion and you turn it into just law, right? And you just focus, and you get your your you, you get the spiritual aspect from the law. That doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, Sheikh was saying these are like last protocols that you look at yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. But I mean, for some reason, we we see that and we say, you know. That is complete. But when you look at other aspects of law over here, you know, like, you know, you talk about financial law and stuff like that. You see that there's grave injustices going on to the vast majority yeah. of people over here. That's true. But nobody, like, you know, we, we, we hum and haw about it, mm. but not as much as we do about these things to do with really intimate relationships, which can be resolved between two parties who are willing to actually go and put some effort into resolving those issues as opposed to just saying, well, look, the law says this, and we're just going to follow the law. I mean, for me, that, that's, that's yeah. just my two cents about it anyway. I don't know, Z, what do you think? No, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, one thing I actually was wanted to ask you, Aman Pai, is this um, idea, I mean, Sheikh mentioned it as well, that women during the Idda period, and I suppose I'm only asking you this because of, you know, your your profession, but that they have, there's a certain amount of time that they need to get over something. And it's this whole idea that women are painted as, that they are more emotional than men and that, you know, that's, that's prob- that's that was probably my, what I thought the reason for having two witnesses and all these things were because, oh, well, you know, women are just emotional and they can't, they're not rational all the time. And mm-hmm. I think that's what's hard to understand and explain to other women. But do you think that is true, that, that women are, need more time to get over something or... You know, just from a st- strictly like quantitative uh, <laughs> like, perspective, know. I know you don't want to put your neck out the line there, right? But but I, I think, I think, I think for for men and for women, I guess what we what we know is that after any sort of stress or, or life change, you know, there's a period of adjustment that mm-hmm. takes, and you know, whether that's having a ba- having a baby or losing somebody or getting married, there's always a period of adjustment. Mm-hmm. And often, you know, when I speak to people, uh, you know, I'll probably say, you know, it might take between three and six months right. for you to adjust to this new situation. Mm-hmm. 
because psychologically and emotionally, I think it does take a bit of time. Say that to men and women. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think that these are sort of any sort of life stresses, and you get things like something called an adjustment disorder, which is your response to something that's mm-hmm. happened. For example, mm-hmm. it's an adjustment which can lead to you know quite you know emotional difficulties, etc. So I think with any change, it takes a bit of time to readjust. Even if you move house. Mm-hmm. It'll take your time. So it doesn't go away in one or two days or one or two weeks. It can t- be a process. Of, of So I guess there is that wisdom of having that breathing space. Um, For the women know. only. See, that was... That's yeah, that's interesting, that, interesting, interesting debate, isn't it? Why why the women and not the men? So like I could, she said, there's layers to it. Yeah. And that could just be one that maybe women need more time. So I think, I think for me that one of the things, is, just as we conclude, is really... We need to see beyond the headlines. Yeah. You know, the, the the big narratives and the headlines that we see when you hear from people of knowledge like Sheikh Amr, etc., you can unravel a lot of actually, you know, no, this is not a, as it seems in terms of the headlines. So I guess that's my my reflection, my take home message is that we need to, you know, grapple with these issues. We need yeah. to understand these issues. We need to spend time educating ourselves on these issues. Um, so that we can address them. Um, from yourselves, any final comments before we leave? And then we've got the Seri show. Um, so any mm. final comments in it? And then Abdul Dud, you can sign off. Well, I just want to I just want to apologise for uh, dragging my wife on to this show without <laughs> without any due notice. So. No, no. no, I think it was a I think it was a really interesting show, and just just like you're saying that you have to look beyond mm. these these issues and not just not believe things for as they are. Like Sheikh shed so much light on why things are the way they are. Um, so just to do a little bit of research, speak to someone knowledgeable, and you know that's it really. Yeah, good. don't don't let these don't let these thought niggle away at you without yeah. actually trying to explore it. Because ultimately, if you just hear one thing all the time, that's it's going to it's going to make it very difficult for you, and you will start doubting your faith. So, so it's, explore, okay to, it's okay to it's okay to question and ask. Que- yeah, so yeah. definitely, I think that's mm-hmm. one of the main things that we're trying to put forward with yeah, the show is ask questions. Yeah. And also, I just want to say, Jazakallah to all my friends that sent me the questions. <laughs> it's really <laughs> useful to have that perspective. Yeah. I mean, we, we we haven't been doing like a live interactive show just because time is so limited, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we often get feedback after the show, and it's really helpful because you had a lot of. Uh, communication beforehand. But Abdul do you want to sign off for tonight, inshallah? And, uh, uh, thank, thank you very you. much, man, for letting me sign off, giving me that duty. Um, <laughs> so you've been listening to Crisis of Faith. We, we were talking about why is Islam so unfair to women? And it's it's a big issue. Um, it, may need a, it may need a part two, I think. I don't know. Um, but Jazakallah khair for all our listeners who are still who are still listening 10 minutes after our um, end time. You've been listening to Christ of Faith on Radio Ramadan, 87.7 FM. See you next week, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.